This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On this week's Big Tech Show, you might not think it could happen to you, but our guest this week explains how a significant number of Irish people may be falling victim to romance frauds online. Victims can feel a misplaced sense of shame. People can blame themselves. They feel embarrassed. And so they don't want to tell family, friends. They don't want to report it to the police. In some cases, of course, the victims are already in relationships. They're married. They have an extra reason to keep that quiet. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Please be advised that today's podcast contains content that some listeners may find distressing. In this episode of the Indo Daily, the story of Jared Mackin, the Kinahan Enforcer. I remember speaking to one of the neighbours and they said that they heard digging, like digging of a spade, beating against something, and they thought, God, it's strange, he would be out digging in there garden or digging in the yard at this time of night and that was actually a man being beaten to death. He's the six foot tall gangland enforcer feared from the falls to Limerick. He's been in the continuity IRA and in the INLA. This was a guy that these groups used basically to put the fear God in people. He was very terrifying and he also shown from a very early age that he had, let's call it a talent for violence. He was given a one million euro contract by the Kinahan crime clan to take out their rival Jerry Hutch. We're told he was flown first class on an Emirates flight from Dublin to Dubai for a meeting with Daniel Kinahan. And it was reported that he was given £100,000 of a down payment to kill Jerry the Monk Hutch. And he was told that there was another £900,000 awaiting him when the job was done. And of course, he was convicted of nailing another human being to a floor with a nail gun. This is the stuff out of The Sopranos. It's something that you don't expect that happens, you know, in Ireland in modern times. But that was what his conviction was for. And that, I suppose, gave you an idea of what a, you know, scary and, and, and violent character he is. The West Belfast-born hard man, Jared Mackin, has an incredible CV with a reputation as one of the most violent criminals in Ireland. To tell his story, I'm joined by our crime correspondent, Alison Morris. Alison Morris, once again, you're very welcome. Let's start in the beginning. Who is Gerard Macken? Gerard Macken is a guy originally from West Belfast, and around the sort of White Rock area of West Belfast. He was, as a young man, he has also been, always been a very sort of burly presence. He did work in, in several different careers. When he left school, he did a little bit of, bit of road work, you know, a bit of um, working uh, on the roads, working with, um, I think he called them reinstaters, who, you know, fix potholes and stuff on the roads. He was always a very big, bulky guy, but then fell in with um, distant republicanism and specifically 
at the very beginning with the continuity IRA. The continuity IRA are probably the oldest distant Republican group as, as we know them. They come from Republican Sinn Féin. You know, if anyone's interested, you go way back to the Royal Brada split within um, within the provisional movement. And that um, distant group did emerge from them, probably best known for the murder of Constable Stephen Carroll and Craig Alvin in recent times. But he fell in with them and was known as a bit of an enforcer. And from a very young age, he has been a very large, bulky and very noticeable presence. He is well over six foot tall. He is very well built, very muscular, bright red hair. You couldn't miss him. And this was a guy that these groups used basically to put the fear of God in people. He was very terrifying and he also shown from a very early age that he had, let's call it a talent for violence. Um, he was someone who violence did not annoy him. Um, he didn't seem to be in any way upset or perturbed by committing acts of extreme violence and therefore he became very useful to those organisations. Where does he sit today? The reason why we're talking about him now and the reason why he's in the news now is because just, you know, at the, the end of last month we had the end of the trial of Jerry Hutch. Jerry Hutch, the leader of that Hutch crime, organised crime gang, who was in a very well-known and well-documented feud with the Kinnahan crime gang, a feud that has so far, and I'm not even sure that that feud is over, but it has fizzled out to a point, but that has resulted in the murders of 18 people. And what we found out as a result of that trial, Jerry the Monk Hutch was found not guilty at the end of that trial, which involved an informer, a guy named Jonathan Downell, who was a former Sinn Féin counsellor, who gave state evidence against him. In the end, the judge didn't believe him. Jerry Hutch walked free from court. But what we did find out throughout that is that Jared Mackin, who has been living in the South for many years, travelled to Dubai. We're told he was flown first class on an Emirates flight from Dublin to Dubai for a meeting with Daniel Kinnahan. And it was reported that he was given £100,000 of a down payment to kill Jerry the Monk Hutch. And he was told that there was another £900,000 awaiting him when the job was done. This was basically a million pound hit against probably being paid for by one of the most famous crime gangs in all of Irish history against the leader of probably what would be the second most famous crime gang in all of Irish history. And the fact that this man from Belfast popped up among this, obviously for people like me who have known about Jared Mackin for a long time and have been writing about him for a long time, this was clearly of major interest to, to us in terms of the reporting of the, the Hutch trial. Now last month, Jared Mackin was jailed for money laundering in the Republic. He's currently in Portlaoise prison, where I understand he associates with Kinnahan-linked inmates rather than dissident Republican inmates. Yeah, he's firm. He's, he's firmly now made his move away from that dissident Republican world too, but basically is a thug for hire, a gun for hire, and he is now being housed in Portlaoise Prison along with the Kinnahan LinkedIn mates. And there are quite a few Kinnahan LinkedIn mates in there because the, the in the South, we've seen what the, the Garda did as a result of that massive feud is they basically put tons of resources into wiping out that Kinnahan um, organised crime gang. Lots of their hitmen were arrested and convicted. Lots of their members were convicted. And so that's where he is. So Jared Mackin had actually fled. Um, he had fled Ireland and he was living in Spain. He was living somewhere in and around Alicante in, in Spain with his partner and children. And he was extradited from Alicante in December 
2022. He ended up pleading guilty to laundering money, a quite a small sum of money when we're talking about the kind of money that's exchanging hands to these organised crime gangs. It was in fact 4,780 euro and that were allegedly the proceeds of crime, of criminal behaviour. He had been um, arrested in connection with that in 2019 but had fled before his trial had taken place. So the the court was told his defence lawyer was said he intends to get the first flight back to Spain um, as soon as he finishes this sentence. Does that mean his time in the criminal underworld is over? I doubt it. Remember a lot of that Kinahan feud, Hutch feud spilled over into Spain because the Kinahans originally had their base in Marbella before then they realised that they could be extradited from Marbella and that the Spanish police weren't having any of them before they moved ship and are now set up in, in Dubai. To take us back to Belfast and his, and his background, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this long list. He, 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 he had been a member of the Continuity IRA. He has been named in court as well as a senior member of the INLA. Um, he was convicted in September 2015 for nailing a man in his 50s to a kitchen floor with a nail gun. Yeah, go back a wee bit further than that. So, as I've said, since his teenage years, he was a member of the Continuity IRA, and that's how I would have first obviously came to know who who Jared Mackham was. The group at the time that he would have been a member, they were carrying out fairly sporadic attacks on police, nothing major, but what they were involved in quite heavily is what we would call punishment shootings, paramilitary-style shootings of young men who they were accusing of being involved in um, criminal activity or antisocial activity. And one such attack, which I reported on at the time, there was an attack on a young fella called Connor Weldon in September 2006. And even by the extent of the violence that we're used to seeing and those sort of punishment paramilitary style attacks. And remember earlier this year, just a few weeks ago, the Belfast Telegraph reported that since the peace process, since the Good Friday Agreement in 1998, there have been 3,200 attacks carried out by loyalist or Republican paramilitaries. So these are something that I suppose we're almost desensitised to in Northern Ireland. But this attack, I remember, you know, it sticks out in my head very vividly. I remember reporting on and speaking to the young man involved because he was um, stopped as he was walking down the Falls Road. He was close to, I think it was Beachmont Leisure Centre at the time. And he was had a shotgun, was fired twice at his leg at very close range. Anyone who would be familiar with the damage that a shotgun would would cause at that kind of close range, the blast just splintered his leg completely. He was apparently there was something like two hundred lead pellets lodged in, and the doctors just couldn't save him. They couldn't save the leg. Sorry, they they amputated his limb from the knee down. Um, when I met him, he was trying to get used to walking on crutches and was getting fitted with a prosthetic leg, which he. He um, had to then use after that, but we were told that um, Mackin and another continuity RA mom were very quickly, their names were put in the frame as having been responsible, as is the case with most of those attacks. No one's ever been convicted in relation to the attack on Connor Weldon. People are rarely convicted of those punishment style attacks because the victim very often doesn't want to make a statement or doesn't want to get involved in it. Um, and so identifying the people responsible is all but impossible. Um, so that was probably when you think he was a quite a, a quite a young man at that stage. And then we had something that I suppose I'll never forget. I never forget waking up that morning and hearing there had been a double murder, one in West Belfast, one in North Belfast. The body of Edward Burns was found in the Bog Meadows area of Belfast. The 36-year-old had been shot in the head at point-blank range. Just hours later, the body of 38-year-old Joseph Jones was discovered in an alleyway in Ardoyne. 
and then quickly realising that the two people who had been murdered were people who I knew, people who I would have spoke to quite regularly, people who had also been former members of the company of the IRA but had broken away and started their, their own organisation. And they were accused at that time of having stolen weapons from a continuity IRA arms dump in order to take with them to start this sort of vigilante group that they had um, set up on their own. And both of them were murdered in very different, but both in very violent circumstances. So as a journalist, I was trying to run from one crime scene to another. One was in West Belfast. It was in Milltown Row, which was close to the Bog Meadows, which is a beautiful part, it's a beautiful part of West Belfast quite close to the motorway but it's a nature reserve and a protected area but there's also quite a few remote lanes leading down to that Um, and so uh, Eddie Burns who had been lured to that area was found shot and his body was found kneeling as if he had been told he was going to be murdered and he'd been shot in the back of the head um, and he was executed. Another man was also shot in that attack. He was a guy called Damien O'Neill. He was shot in the neck. He survived it and we are told uh, that he ran under the road and waved someone down and was taken to, taken to hospital. So that in itself would have been a fairly violent night and for any crime reporter that would have been, you know, a lot of work trying to get to grips with that. But then a few miles across the city in Torrance Avenue in North Belfast, Eddie Burns is close friend Joe Jones. You never seen one without the other. I have never met. I never met Eddie Burns. That Joe Jones wasn't with him. Never met Joe Jones. That Eddie Burns wasn't with him. He had also been lured from his friend's house, and at that stage, we were told that the gun um, either jammed or had run out of bullets. But basically, the gun wasn't working anymore. So instead, he was beaten to death with a spade, um, and his head was almost severed from his body. I never forget that the priest was sent for to come and give him the last rites and the priest went down to the, the the alleyway where his body was found. He anointed, said some prayers over it and as he walked out he stood vomiting at the side of a wall because the scene was so horrific um, and that was how Joe Jones and Eddie Burns made, that's how they both came to an end and then what we seen was a number of people scattering and Jared Mackin was among them. So the car that they had used, which was um, Eddie Burns's car, was found burning at the top of the, the Ligonel Road. And all of a, a crowd of them, which would have been Jared Mackin um, and a guy called Decky Smith, among others, they, as of that day, their mobile phones were never used again. So the phones registered in their names, they were never used again. They left their families, their children, their jobs, whatever else they had, and they disappeared down south. And that's the last time they were ever seen in Northern Ireland again. And obviously they became the major suspects in this horrific double murder. Um, you know, I want to stick on on the what with what we're talking about today. And sometimes I say in the middle of a podcast, well, that's the next podcast or that's a podcast for another day. But we have a lot of people listen to this podcast and based in the United States of America and other places and in Dublin, etc. And there's an awful lot of interest when we deal with crime and when we deal with paramilitarism. You know, some people... When we when we speak, and we're speaking about Jared Mackin uh, specifically, but we mentioned this this uh, the, the group that Eddie Burns and, and Joe Jones uh, are alleged to have set up the the Irish Republican Liberation Army. They sound like Walter Mitty's 
who who kill people. There was two, two or three members of that organisation. It's tragic and ridiculous. But but again, you mentioned vigilante attacks and removing a young man, whatever whatever he may have been accused of, and we have, we have no. Is it, Connor, Connor, Connor Weldon was a, a petty criminal. His name was constantly on the court list. He, somebody had clocked up quite a, a an extensive criminal record for really petty criminality, but. When I spoke to him, he was quite a tragic young lad. His mother had died at a very young age. He was living with an uncle. I think that most of his family had addiction problems. And I remember thinking, what hope did you have, kid? Do you know what I mean? He didn't really have much hope. And then he was shot and lost a leg. So he had even less hope after that. I suppose my point, I suppose that's the point I'm trying to make. Um, Many of these groups and many of the people involved in these groups, uh, I mean, their job was to inflict pain, not not on the occupying Crown forces, not on the British presence in Ireland, but on teenagers uh, and other people from their own community, including including beating someone to death with a, a shovel. Um, so again, again, I'm just trying to put this in terms of the, this, this violent context because many people, some people listening to this podcast may have a romantic vision of, for example, the continuity IRA in an unbroken tradition from the ashes off O'Connell Street in 1916. But the reality is very, very different here. Yeah, so there's two there's two things there. So the attack on Connor Weldon and all of those vigilante-style attacks, they're carried out for completely different reasons. So they're carried out in terms of those groups don't want policing to be normalised. They don't want people to sign up to police and they certainly don't want people in so nationalist, you know, slash Republican areas to be engaging with the police for obvious reasons. So they set them up themselves up as this vigilante group and say, well, the police aren't going to arrest these people. Well, we'll deal with them. And in the past, I mean, during the, the height of the troubles, when we didn't have normalised police in here, I think it would probably found a degree of support for those actions if someone was breaking into houses or, you know, robbing pensioners. There's absolutely no support for it now at all. And also, I have said this a hundred times, if those kind of sort of summary justice, like meeting out violence and people you're accusing of petty criminality, if it worked, we would live... I'm from West Belfast. It would be a beautiful crime-free utopia, but it's not. And, you know, after the attack on Connor Weldon, I would occasionally be looking at the court list and see his name on it and go, there's that crater back again, you know. So it didn't stop him, even though he lost a, a leg. You know, it doesn't work. It just brutalises people and it makes them probably unemployable. It makes them the trauma that they suffer then. They're never going to go on to become sort of normal members of the community, they're always going to then have to be involved in some sort of criminality or they'll they'll have severe mental health problems. And in some cases, they've even taken their own knife. You know, we had a spate of suicides that were linked to, to paramilitary-style uh, shootings many, many, many years ago. So that didn't work. The attack on Joe Jones and Eddie Burns, that's more of an internal feud. So these were people who were all members of the continuity IRA. Guns are not the easiest to come by in terms of those organisations, especially at that time, you know, around 2006, 2007. Their, you know, crime, if you like it, internally was that they were accused of lifting those weapons. And Daki Smith, um, who was but to be the head of the continuity area in Belfast at that time, he is said to have ordered their murders. But their murders, you know, I mean, I've covered so many, dozens, dozens, probably in the triple figures now of murders. I, I struggle to remember one that was carried out with such violence to beat. I mean, I remember one of the worst things that I reported about that at that time was speaking to one of the neighbours in and around Torrens, and they said that they heard digging, like digging of a spade, beating against something, and they thought, God, it's strange. Who would be out digging in their garden or digging in their yard at this time of night? And that was actually a man being beaten to death. You know... 
Jared Mack and, and just the overall picture that we're painting here. I mean, this this sort of where crime and republicanism come together. I mean, you we're painting a picture of a man who moved in continuity IRA circles. He always had he also had links and he was named in court as having links with the INLA. Like we always speak when we're speaking of loyalist paramilitaries of this inf- int- intimate connection with with pure criminality. But this is certainly painting a very similar picture. Well, what happened to them when they went down south is they all went down south if on the run, I feel like, basically to escape um, prosecution for these two murders. That didn't particularly work out very well for them. Jared Mackham was arrested and made history as the first person to stand trial and be found guilty in the Special Criminal Court in Dublin for a crime that had been committed in a completely different jurisdiction, a crime that had been committed in Belfast. He later beat that on appeal because the lead witness for that was a guy called Damien O'Neill, who I've already mentioned, who was injured during that attack, who then withdrew his statement and refused to give evidence in the second trial and the retrial of that. So it became very murky, very messy, and he walked free. Um, And I would know um, members of Joe Jones's family, his brother specifically, who is one of the loveliest, kindest people you could meet, and I know the devastation that that caused their family, that they've never got justice in terms of those murders. These men, we talk about them and say, oh, they're members of continuity IRA, but remember, they had wives and children who were guilty of nothing. You know, we weren't members of anything. We were just innocent victims of all this. So they went down south, and then they split ways. So this little squad that they had, who all took off the next day on the run, scattered to the four corners of the wind. Um, Decky Smith joined in with Alan Ryan's Real IRA. That was, you know, I suppose it was the closest thing that I'd ever seen to those what we used to call the sort of East Belfast Space Boys, the sort of UDA of the 90s, who run around in flash cars and um, flash clothes. Alan Rand's um, Real IRA was built on that. They were all, you know, muscles, tattoos, flash cars, Range Rovers. It was not what I would have associated with Republicanism and anything that I'd ever known it in, in my childhood or my working years. Decky Smith fell in with them. Um, Jared Mackin went a different direction and he became involved in the NLA down there and worked for an enforcer for the NLA and as you said, one of his convictions was nailing a guy to a floor with a nail gun. Um, this is the stuff out of The Sopranos. It's something that you don't expect that happens, you know, in Ireland in modern times. But that was what his conviction was from for. And that, I suppose, gave you an idea of what a, you know, scary and, and, and violent character he is. And remember, at this stage, he's still a relatively young young man. Um, you know, again, I, I don't want to go off piste. But I'm thinking about the questions that people may be asking and people who may have ha, have certain views of these groups. Now, we all know people, if you're involved in journalism and you go out and talk to people on the ground, you know, you, there are very sincere people, very sincere Republican, maybe even naive Republicans connected to Republicanism of the continuity type. There are real believers and people connected to groups in the INLA, for example. I mean, who's using who here? Yeah. I mean, I realise I'm throwing out a lot of names. It's probably confusing people because Alan Rand was the leader of the Real Area. He was quite a large, sort of well-known figure in the Southern press. If you go back to the early 2000s, him and his brother. Um, but I know people, he was then shot. He became involved in a sort of feud with a, a, a drug gang down in Dublin. He was shot in September 2012. And I know people who would have been, maybe those Republicans you speak of, who people who still hark back to some sort of ideological time way back when, who travelled down to go to that funeral and left before the funeral was even over because they said they didn't want to be seen with the people who were there because they just looked like gangsters. You know, they showed up 
with the Mercedes and the Range Rovers and everything. And they went, who are these people? I don't want to be photographed with them. I don't want to be seen with them. And they left the funeral and didn't, and didn't stay. Um, I suppose what I'm trying to think is, you know, Jared Mackin brought muscle to the INLA and he, the INLA gave him some sort of legitimacy in the world. I mean, is, is, there, is there a quid pro quo not, deal not that, going on Not here? that Jared Mackin would have needed protection, but you are protected by being a member of an organisation because another paramilitary group can't then kill you no matter what you do. There has to be an agreement to have like a sort of no strike first, no hit first type agreement. So people join paramilitary groups then to protect them against other paramilitary groups, if you like. So not that Jared Mackin was a man who needed much because, you know, I have said before and I'll say it again, if you come for Jared Mackin, you better make sure you put him down the first go because anyone who does, you know, they're, they're, he will hunt them down and probably hunt down everyone belonging to them as well at the same time. So he was, you know, a major asset to the NLA in Dublin. He was, you know, someone, as I said, was people were terrified of, genuinely, genuinely terrified of. Um, Decky Smith, just to go off on a, another was himself then murdered he apparently tried to take over after Ryan's death took over the real IRA that didn't go very well for him and in 2014 which is the day I remember very well he was dropping his child off at a child care centre in um, in Dublin and he was shot in the head as he walked out of there with a shotgun there was pictures it was probably the first time when we used to see people taking pictures on their phone and posting them online horrific pictures and he died of his injuries a week later in hospital and here we go this is you know the sort of people who were involved in Joe Jones and Eddie Burns' murder this is the one of them who's then also meeting his death in very violent circumstances not because of that or because of his involvement in that murder but because then he involved himself with other gangs and other criminality when he moved to um, he moved to Dublin at this time He's not having much connection with Jared Mackin at all. Jared Mackin, as I said, was with the NLA. They took him onto their wing in prison um, and he was then with them. But then he moved away and became, I suppose, what would be known as sort of freelance hitman, gun for hire, worked on his own. Um, and that was clearly something that was working out and quite profitable for him. I'm told he was living quite a nice lifestyle in Spain before he was, he was extradited. Do you know what I am always keen to say? Because I deal with these people and I speak to them and I've met most of them throughout my career. And the one thing I'm asked, if I, someone stops me in the street or a supermarket or even if I'm out for a drink, they go, what was that person like? I mean, because they might have a fearsome reputation. They might have murdered loads of people. But I can assure you, when you meet them, they don't be particularly scary because they can be the nicest person in the world. But it just takes something to flick a switch and you know the behind the scenes, they're responsible for extreme, extreme violence. And people who are especially leaders of those type of criminal gangs or organisations, in order to get men to follow you, in order to get people to follow your lead and involve themselves in something that could get them killed or send them to prison, they've got to have a bit of something about them. They've got to have a bit of charisma. They've got to have a bit of leadership quality. So they're not, you know, these are not people who look like monsters. They may well be um, behind the scenes in the activities they carried out. And let's face it, if you look at um, Jared Mackin's CV, this is someone who is, you know, a, a man who's not to be messed with, a very scary human being. But when you meet them in real life, that is not the impression they give. And that is why, you know, I suppose the people, the interest in my job and the crime reporting job was always, well, what are these people like in real life? And what they're like in real life is some guy you met, you know, you could meet down the pub and sit and have a drink with, but if you cross them or if you get on the wrong side of them or if you have something that they want, well, then it becomes a very different matter. Alison Morris, crime correspondent with the Belfast Telegraph. Thank you very much.
If you've been affected by today's episode, you can check out a list of helplines at independent.ie forward slash helplines.